Hey everyone, welcome back in another episode of the Wobcast 2.0. Yours truly, Wobby, coming to you from home finally after a, a couple of weeks on the road and one episode recorded from a hotel room back to the comfy confines of the loft uh, at the residence with lots to get to. Uh, as the Minnesota Vikings come off a victory and look ahead to a game against the Bengals on a Saturday as the NFC playoff race continues. We're going to get to all of it. We have a, a lot to talk about, so we'll, hit, we'll touch on all of it quickly to make sure we get through it all. And to help me do that, as usual, is my partner and co-host, Giles. Let's bring him in right now. Hey, buddy, how's it going? Hey, hey, happy Friday. Uh, I will say after that Raiders game, I, I, I was expecting a bounce back after the bye. And uh-huh. although we technically got a W, that was not necessarily the performance I was looking for. So hopefully we can bounce back with a new quarterback coming uh, to the Bengals game this weekend. All right, let's talk about that, Giles, because um, as you know, uh, we, uh, Wifey and I, were in Vegas for the game. There we and go. so there was lots of interaction with uh, with Vikings fans um sitting at the blackjack table or walking up and down the strip or riding an elevator um and the it was a very common theme after this game where it was almost like they lost with what the people were saying you know you'd have thought the vikings lost the game and i was very quick to remind it people in every conversation i wasn't like they won i, I mean <laughs> yep. Like, I get it. They didn't score a touchdown. It was 3-0, and it's fair to be disappointed in the offensive output and the overall look of your team. I mean, you don't have to like everything. You can feel how you want to feel, or or you can't help how you feel, I guess. But, like, I, I always ended the conversation or reminded people, like, they won the game. And, and who are the Vikings without Kirk Cousins, without Jefferson for most of that game? Who are you to complain about how the win looks. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I mean, Brian you, you O'Neill was out. Yeah. Brian O'Neill left like, like they won the game. And so I just was, uh, that was always sort of one of the, one of my main points. I'm, you know, mm-hmm. because people would be like, Oh, you went to that game, huh? That must've been terrible. And I'm like, I, I still no, it was, it was great. Like I saw a stadium I'd never been to. Mm-hmm. It was a road game and they won the game. Like I, you know, and if you really look at the, the total picture, Giles, we're going to we'll talk about the Vikings performance and the Vikings win. But if you look at the total picture, that was a great weekend for the Vikings. I mean, can you if you look at the scoreboard, what didn't go their way? Detroit lost. So if you have any hopes of winning the division, if you're someone who's got that optim level of optimism to you, the team you're chasing lost and you won. Mm-hmm. And then every team that you're competing with for a wild card lost. Great scenario. Green Bay, Atlanta, the Rams, and Seattle all lost. Detroit lost, and you won. I mean, it could not have been a better weekend. In fact, I'm 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 sitting there going, like I should have done like a Vikings fan parlay, Mm -hmm. like Vikings win, and then all the teams that you need to lose lose. Uh, You know, so to me. I was just looking at it from a completely different angle than a lot of fans who had traveled to Vegas for the game. You know, they were disappointed in the offensive output and the the look, but I'm sitting there being like, that was one hell of a weekend for the Vikings. I mean, you know, um, uh, they could have been eliminated from the playoffs mm-hmm. if things would have gone the other way. And yep. it, everything turned up roses for the Vikings last weekend. 
And I think you might even be missing out on the biggest win coming from this weekend. Ooh, what's that? I think because of the performance yeah. that uh, the Vikings put on the field, they benched Josh Dobbs. Now, yeah. love him as a person, but I'm, I'm actually happy that that type of performance happened because it validated to everyone in the locker room and in the staff that he is not the solution when it comes to the 2023 season. And it mm-hmm. gave them justification to make a change, right? Now, yeah. I was hoping yeah. for Jaron Hall, but obviously... Uh, we're moving forward with Mullins starting under center on uh, Saturday against the Bengals. So that type of performance directly led to the ability for us to actually maybe turn the ship around. Period. I, full um, stop. That, that, that's a good point. And, and in last week's episode, guys, we talked about <clears throat> coming out of the bye. Who, who would you start? And we both mm-hmm. made a case for our own person. The point mm-hmm. was neither one of us chose Dobbs. Nope. Right. So exactly. and that's what Kevin O'Connell went with. And, um, the fact that he actually pulled Dobbs in the middle of the game tells you that it must have been a pretty tight decision last week. Mm. You know, yep. like that was, I mean, because you had a buy to think about it and you came out of the buy being like, nope, we're going to stick with Dobbs. And then 40 minutes of game time later and you pulled them, right? Yep. So um, the leash was short. And um, it must have been a, a pretty close decision. Now, what's also interesting, and um, maybe you can verify this because I was traveling. We were traveling home yesterday. Um, did they declare that Hall is the backup? They did. Josh okay. Dobbs has been decreased to the third quarterback. So, so that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I, I don't get that. I'm not I'm not critical of it or questioning it, but I don't understand how they got to that point. Like, it's not like, you know, Dobbs is some locker room problem or I would be shocked if he was told that he's benched and then had a, you know, spazzed out about it. And so they had to I don't know how they I don't know what the mechanics of that decision are that that was I, I thought I saw that headline and I didn't understand that. I mean, to me, it emphasizes a couple things. One, I think it emphasizes their optimism in both Nick Mullins and Jaron Hall. Like when mm-hmm. they think about the guys that we want to move forward with, we want those two to be the the next best options, right? Because if they would have been put them in at QB2, that tells you that they like Josh Dobbs over Jaron Hall. And I think it's gotten to that point where I think Jaron Hall now maybe has higher upside than what Josh Dobbs is. So just okay. because someone has fallen doesn't mean that it's an indictment on them. It might be a more of a positive note towards the other person. Yeah. Um but ultimately, I think it also emphasizes how tight the race might have been before going into the Raiders game of how many people wanted each each quarterback. And yeah. I think it still might emphasize that they are not completely certain that Nick Mullins is the absolute option. So they want to see, all right, if Nick Mullins isn't working, we want to put in Jaron Hall mid game against the Bengals. Right. So I think yeah. there's a chance yeah. that a change might be made during the game if things don't go as smoothly as they would prefer. Yeah. Well. Long term. I think it'd be cool if Hall got some run mm-hmm. during games that were in the midst of a playoff chase, games that mattered. Yep. Short term, though, I think they have a better chance to win these important playoff chase type games with Mullins playing. So yep. that that's an interesting, weird uh, position. And I think at this stage, Kevin O'Connell's priority needs to be on the near term winning games right now to get this team to the yep. playoffs because this team has responded enough to be in the mix 
after having lost their quarterback for most of the season. So yep. I think you have to do right by these players who have responded to you by by trying to get them to the playoffs. And to me, yep. Mullins gives you the best chance at least to win this week. Now, um, if he performs poorly, Hall comes in, saves the day, looks good, wins the game, and then ends up playing and, and winning games, you know, that's awesome. great. Yeah, right. <laughs> yep. That's great. But um, I think going to Mullins is the right call. Uh, I think they should have done it last week. And mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, you thought that as well, uh, although mm-hmm. you, you were on, on the Hall side of things. But we both thought this should have happened last week. Yes. Uh, as it turns out, it should have. Um, and so now, now we'll see what happens in a battle of backup quarterbacks in Cincinnati. Because the Bengals also have a backup in Jake Browning, a former Viking. Uh, we'll break that game down here uh, momentarily. But we got more to get to from the Vikings and Raiders game. So um, let's look a little bit at the performance, Giles. The how did we get to 3-0? Um, f- from my vantage point being in the stadium, it was clearly substandard quarterback play but also i mean kj osborne had some drops so like there were some things going on um with players around the quarterback that didn't really help things completely agree i yep so now vegas's defense to me is okay i think the vikings defense is much better so i give the vikings defense a ton of credit for shutting out the raiders especially given deal Yes, especially given how they looked last night, by the way. I mean, they scored 63 points yeah, in, the, so, in, in the span of four days. It went, yeah. From being shut out to 63 points is right. quite as well. A couple of those scores were defensive scores. So I don't know what the total offensive output was last night for the Raiders, but it was north of 40 points. And so you shut that team out last week. So uh, no matter how you slice it and dice it, that's an impressive defensive performance by the Vikings last week in Las Vegas. Um, the Vegas defense, I will give credit to for not allowing a touchdown and all that, but I really thought the Vikings offense horribly underperformed. Mm-hmm. So tell me what you thought. Uh, other than that, I saw, I saw the quarterback not play well, particularly yep. Dobbs. And then I saw receivers dropping passes. So yep. that's what I could see from my vantage point, but yours Giles, was different. Um, you were watching it on TV and then you probably went back and watched it again. And you certainly dug into some data. Um, with PFF and some of the other things you like to look at. So what what happened in your view offensively for the Vikings? Yeah, offensively. I think uh, both things can be true. I think it was quarterback play and wide receiver drops. Uh, both things are absolutely true there because uh, when it comes to Josh Dobbs, he was not playing well. Uh, and in the areas that he was able to get a pass off to a wide receiver, although there were definitely some drops and some some indictments against KJ Osborne and some of the other uh, pass mm-hmm. catching people on our offense, uh, the accuracy is the issue. I think there is there's a, a spot where people are like, oh, he dropped that ball. But I'm like, ah, that ball should have been a little bit more uh, tightly placed. So I think yeah. that there's maybe some shared concern there, both wide receiver and quarterback. But ultimately, you need someone that's more accurate. So you need someone that can actually get the ball off. I think Josh Dobbs was way too inconsistent. I know Kurt Warner came out and was in defense of Josh Dobbs this week. And I think there's some truth to what he was saying. And I'll never claim to be a better quarterback expert than Kurt Warner, to be very, very clear. Uh, but at the end of the day, I do expect um, the the change was specifically made because of Josh Dobbs' inaccuracy and his inability to uh, adapt when things were not performing well. And it just it was it was an issue. I mean, even yeah. down to the the play that Justin Jefferson was hurt by. 
in my opinion, correct me if you would disagree. Terrible. That throw. is a that is a, a hospital ball. Like <laughs> he he put him in danger, and that is yes. not okay. Especially when you consider yeah. he's the best non quarterback in the league. That yeah. is a danger to your franchise. Right. Yeah. Uh, so I think that was a, a major concern. I'm surprised that Kevin O'Connell didn't bench him at halftime, to be honest. Um, when you watch, I, I even uh, sped up the game and, you know, watched the condensed version of the all 22. And it was really surprising how he was kept in for that much longer. It really shows yeah. that Kevin O'Connell wanted to have faith in him, but clearly could not. So at the end of the day, I do think it's both. But I think a lot of the, the drops may be solved by a more accurate quarterback. Yep. You know, it's interesting just from a, 10,000 foot or global macro look at things, Giles, you know, accuracy from a quarterback obviously mm -hmm. is of paramount importance. And the one thing that I always, the one thing I observed in my time in, in the league in studying quarterbacks and charting things and whether it was just for my own, for content or actually helping coaches or our scouting staff do it, mm -hmm. what, what you saw was college quarterbacks that weren't accurate okay did not come into the league and become accurate with coaching and development like accuracy is a thing is accuracy is a you got it or you don't it's very rare yep. that a player loses that transitioning up to the nfl or or gain, improves it and gains on it coming into yep. the nfl yep. um i i I can, I can say I never really saw it in any notable case, like any important player, yep. um, except for one, and that was Josh Allen, who was not an accurate passer at Wyoming, uh, but has become a very accurate passer in the NFL. Yep. Yep. Um, that's the only exception I ever saw. And where this really came to light was in 2011 when the Vikings were looking for a quarterback. And this was the Ponder year. Mm. And in that class was... Uh, were a lot of quarterbacks. Cam Newton was in that class. Uh, Jake Locker was in that class. Uh, Blaine Gabbert, uh, Christian Ponder. Uh, I believe Andy Dalton. Was Andy Dalton in that class? And that Kaepernick? That sounds right. Yeah, I yeah think that sounds some, right. Yeah. I think I'm, I, I, might, I might be conflating a couple of these, but it was a big class. Like There was a lot of options. And just for for fun, Rick Spielman asked me to take a look at a few metrics you know, and compare all the all the eligible players um, on a lot of different metrics, you know, passer rating with a lead passer rating down in the fourth quarter, yeah. you know, passer rating at home on the road, like, and then all the things that went into that completion percentage yards, touchdown to interception ratio. And mm -hmm. the one thing I'll remember is we ranked them by accuracy, you know, and then we looked at quarterbacks who were good in the NFL and what was their accuracy in college, and all of them were high. Yeah. So we, we saw that if the quarter if you really like this quarterback, but he's got a little accuracy problem, that's a big knock against him, right? Yep. As opposed to you really like this quarterback, he's just not very mobile. It's like, eh, yep. well, in, in the NFL, we win from the pocket. So yep. we, you know, we don't mind if, if he's mobile, if he's not yep. mobile. If he's not accurate, you don't want him. And so nope. you talking about Dobbs, uh, reminded me of that um you know that accuracy is a problem and if if you're perceiving that to be the case and that's proven that accuracy is an issue then you gotta you gotta pull the guy because 100%. He's, he's not just going to become accurate now with four games to go 
you know, correct. He, Especially because other teams have figured out how to contain him mobily. Like it's clear that after the first two games that he started, they yeah. figured out, all right, rush the C gaps. That's how we're going to contain him. He's going to have to throw from the pocket and that's where things collapse uh, literally yep. and figuratively. Right. Yep. And yeah. uh, I think that really forced Kevin O'Connell's hands to say, all right, although I might love this guy, I think he's super smart, uh, literally an astrophysicist. He's great in the locker room, just a, a terrific guy has mobility, but if teams have figured out how to contain him and he can't throw from the from the pocket, you got to make yeah. a change. I mean, it's just your, your hand yeah. is forced. I think that Dobbs holds the ball too long as well. Um, you know, I would I agree that. A, yeah, I made a comment yeah. about that a couple of times. Now, I don't have a measurement of that. I don't have a metric or a stat, but something tells me if you stopwatched him on every drop back this year that he's mm-hmm. holding on to it too long. Now, if a guy's not open and you can hold on to the ball and buy some time, that's great. You know, that, that's a good trait to have. But if you're holding on to the ball, staying in the pocket and getting taken down too much, that's a yep. problem. Yep. And I think Dobbs has a tendency to do that. I don't know why that is. I, you'd have to really break the film down and look at it. Is it because no one's open? Is it because he doesn't anticipate? Is it whatever it might be? But the bottom line is I think he holds it too long, and I think we saw that in Vegas a little bit. Um, so while the offensive line may be ripe for the picking in terms of criticism um, from that game, I have to imagine some of the pressures and sacks allowed were from Dobbs holding it too long. Yep, uh, I completely agree. And we'll get into the PFF grades here in a little bit, but I don't think the offensive line was an issue at all. Now, I yeah. think that the quarterback play has made the, the offensive line look bad in other scenarios, but I put that that uh, mostly on the, the quarterback position, 100%. Um, yeah. And that's where I think... You know, if you're trying to support a Nick Mullins campaign here, he's the closest thing in our locker room to Kirk Cousins. Now, whether you love him or hate him, if you're trying to mimic the the rise that we were having offensively before Kirk went down, I think Nick Mullins is the guy to be able to do that. Now, I think there's been a lot of stats floating around uh, this past week comparing him to Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. When you look at Nick Mullins's first, I believe it was either 14 or 17 starts in the NFL, I think yeah. he's number two in the league in most uh, passing yards. Like he is a guy oh, that can move the ball down the field. Now, like I mentioned yeah. last week, he's a guy that's also a little bit turnover prone. So I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on, but he's a guy that's quite aggressive and has a lot more accuracy than Dobbs. Yep. And Mullins has this experience of being in a Kyle Shanahan offense too, and running that um, mm-hmm. where obviously he benefited from being in that system because it's well-respected. It's highly productive. It's, it asks a lot of the quarterback, but um, it puts the quarterback in good positions. Yep. You know, so Mullins has that experience. So he knows what it looks like and how it should operate. Mm-hmm. He may not be able to execute it the way um, Brock Purdy can, right? Yep. Or the way Matthew Stafford executes a very similar offense for Sean McVay. He can't maybe execute it to that level, but he knows what it should look like. And I think that gives him an advantage, um, you know, in the spot that he's entering for the Vikings. Yep. I also think it's important to note that I don't believe in the entire starting um, NFL experience that Nick Mullen has. Has he ever been benched? He has specifically been Mm. put in when a starter has gone down. He's played and played fairly well. I I haven't looked at his win percentage yet, Uh, but he has been removed because the starter came back, not because he lost the job. So I think that if you're looking for commendations and, you know, uh, some, some niceties to throw Nick Mullins way, uh, there's definitely some success behind him. Like he's not a a train wreck of a quarterback. He's a great wide or a a great backup quarterback to have in your room when your quarterback goes down. Uh, I totally agree. And, and that was really the main argument I had for playing him last week anyway, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and I, I know that you, 
you leveled with me on that. Uh, mm-hmm. From that standpoint, you totally agreed with that. You, you being on the hall train was the upside. Like, let's see what we got in this guy. Like, there is certainly value in finding out the answer on Hall. Yep. Um, and that will come in time for the Vikings. But um, Mullen's experience and him being able to be cool under pressure and having been in a playoff chase before is is going to help him in this spot. Um, yeah. I know you mentioned the PFF grades, Giles. Let's let's get to those. Um, but begin it with the offensive line and and talk about them obviously saving brian o'neill who got hurt during the game um but like to know your thoughts on how they played i know you said they weren't a problem or weren't the issue but if you could expand on that a little bit and then let's get into those pff grades yeah 100 percent. um so ultimately we have had a lot of injury on the offensive line obviously that yeah. that uh, has caused a little bit of a dip in performance away from where they were you know pre-kirk injury i think they were playing like a top five unit um and obviously, we've traded away Ezra Cleveland to the Jacksonville Jaguars, and we've uh, thrown in um, Dalton Reisner at left guard. I would say uh, Dalton Reisner has become exactly who he thought he was, or yeah, thought, yeah. Who, who we thought we uh, we thought he was. Uh, yep. He scored on Sunday against the Ve- uh, Las Vegas Raiders. He had an 85.2 grade in pass wow. protection. He's exactly wow. what we want pass protection wise. He has struggled a little bit in the run game like we had predicted. He is like the inverse of Ezra Cleveland. Ezra Cleveland was a phenomenal run blocker and struggled in pass protection. Um, Dalton Reisner was the ninth overall graded player on Sunday uh, with a 61.9 overall grade. Um, Brian O'Neill coming at the right guard position, or I'm sorry, right tackle, uh, ended the day at a 66.0 grade, was uh, average to above average in both pass protection and, and, uh, and run blocking. Obviously, he went down. Uh, he's now injured. He has a high ankle sprain. He's going to be out for a few weeks. So I think that uh, partially leads to his performance. Um, Christian Derrissaw had an elite day in pass protection, had an 84.0 grade. Struggled a little bit in the run game and, and a few snaps, but had far more pass protection plays uh, in that yeah. standpoint. And the highest graded offensive lineman was David Quesenberry, coming in at a 69.8 grade. Did very well in the run uh, blocking game. Did nice. average to slightly above average in pass protection. But at the end of the day, I don't believe they were the issue for our performance. Although, are they playing top? Top five at the moment no but that's partially because of injury yeah yeah i it just <clears throat> the quarterback what just wasn't good enough it's so hard yeah. to blame the offensive line when the quarterback doesn't play well doesn't operate things right and yeah you know the other thing that we don't know and we can only we can only get this information or or develop this opinion by reading or listening to the coaches is we don't know how Dobbs is doing pre-snap either. That's very true. That's you know? a great comment. Yeah, that's very and true. Like, that might be a problem that mm-hmm. O'Connell is seeing as well. Um, that that's hurting the team. So often you hear coaches talk about giving their quarterback credit for getting us out of a bad play. Like I had a bad play call in that third and seven, and you know, so Kirk got us out of it, you know, he got us into a different play and whatever. And, and that may not be happening either on Dobbs side. So I really tempered my criticism of other players on the offense because of how poorly the play was at quarterback. Um, However, what was the Mullins grade with the limited snaps he saw? It, It can't, it can't have been too terrible. But um, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't great. Uh, he did have a 59.3 grade. Um, so he was the 11th overall graded player. He played 13 pass snaps. So, um, you know, relatively limited uh, sample yeah. size there. Um, yeah. 
but at the end of the day, he still was able to push the uh, ball down the field far more than Dobbs was and led to the points that we did put on the board. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, now I am hoping for an increase there, obviously, against the Bengals, but, uh, you know. All right. Yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah. All right. Let's very quickly, let's switch to defense. I, I want to talk about uh, the playoff picture and then Cincinnati, but um, let's let's put a bow on on recapping the Raiders uh, by talking defense. Uh, who played well, who graded out well, what'd you see, uh, for the Vikings on defense? I, I couldn't really discern who was playing great from where I was in the building. I just knew everyone was, and I couldn't help, but be more impressed with Flores, you know, and his plan and the the way he carries himself, seeing it in person again, just very impressed with him, but, uh, who looked good to you on defense? I mean, in general, if you're looking at even the worst teams in the NFL, it is incredibly difficult to perform a shutout. Like even, yeah. and I don't think the Raiders are the worst team in the league either. Like, I don't even think that mm-hmm. is, that's not even close. Although they're not a great team, they're not the worst team by a large margin. And mm-hmm. we completely shut them out. So obviously a huge commendation to Brian Flores and the entire defensive unit. But we had four separate players that scored above an 80 grade overall. Phenomenal. Wow. And that, that doesn't happen very often. Uh, so coming in at number four is Daniil Hunter with an 80.4 grade. Did phenomenal in every category. He had uh, seven total pressures in this game. Ooh. Seven. Just yeah. so he freaking was a nature. He was a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And one guy I'm loving to see his uh, kind of uh, ascension to, to stardom here is Makai Blackman coming in at number three. Yeah. He had an 83.4 yep. grade. Did phenomenal in coverage. Uh, played uh, just an absolute monster mode. So I uh, love to see him uh, ascending there. And the top two players, I think should be relatively obvious to everyone, including you in terms of who really stood out in this game. Number two is Josh Metellus. It was actually highlighted before the game that he had played every single defensive position this year. Yeah. I He's saw played that every single position. He played nose tackle, even like my goodness, that. he's coming in phenomenal. He had an 89.6 grade oh was gosh. phenomenal in coverage. He had a 94 or a 90.4 grade in coverage. Just exactly who he wanted. I mean, this is maybe one of the the biggest bargain signings that you've made in a long time. Even across the entire NFL, we signed a two-year, $13 million extension for Josh Metellus, and he's performing like one of the best safeties in the NFL. Like, that's an absolute bargain. So love Josh Metellus. Awesome guy. Glad that he has the captain patch on his his shoulder. And coming in at number one, should not be a surprise, is Ivan Pace Jr. Uh, Had a sack. Obviously, he had the game-winning interception, uh, essentially, uh, but came at a 92.9 grade. Did phenomenal yep. across the board. I know he's kind of had a little bit of an up-and-down year, but he had a phenomenal game. I think it was really clear after the bye that that Brian Flores tried to really figure out, how can I get this guy more involved because he's such a versatile player? Albeit yeah. small, he is so versatile, has a real mean streak inside of him, and I think they found a way to exploit that. Yeah, I think Ivan Pace... We saw this in camp, right? We were impressed with him in camp, and we saw something coming, and we saw a little dip in performance. And I, I, I think he is—I don't know—I I don't want to denigrate him or or take anything away from him. Mm-hmm. I, I like he's to me, at least not yet. I don't think he's a guy that you know every week will be a key player and will play well. I think there are certain games where it's like this is an Ivan Pace game for reasons X, Y, and Z. Like this is going to be a, a, a big spot for him. Like he's going to get a lot of opportunity. But then there are going to be other games where it's like, yeah, Ivan Pace is like this isn't a big game for him. Like because of the style of offense we're facing, like this won't be a situation where we really need Ivan Pace. But mm-hmm. there will be games where it's the opposite, where it's like if he plays well, the other team's going to have a hard time. That's what I think Ivan Pace is. More than yeah. a role player, 
not just not a, a transformational, you know, week in, week out stalwart. Um, yep. But a guy who, when, when he plays well, it matters for the Vikings defense. Like when Ivan plays, pays, plays well, the other team is at a severe disadvantage because of that. So, and I, yep. and I think he was flying all over the place. Um, at Allegiant Stadium in, in Las Vegas. I mean, he was he was a noticeable player on the field watching the game mm-hmm. from the stands. Yeah. Yep. So let's hope that can, that uh, performance continues because yeah. as an undrafted rookie, I mean, that's a, a phenomenal even from a cap, sit, cap hit standpoint. I mean, our, our defense yeah. is starting to look real green and blue when you look at the PFF grades across the lineup. Yeah. So yeah. love Good. to see that. Good. All right. Uh, anything else from that game that you wanted to get to before we move on? Uh, no, but I mean, I wouldn't really think about the, the defense as a unit over the last few weeks. We are one of the best defensive units in the NFL full stop. So I'm really excited to see if the, the offensive changes can increase our capabilities of putting points on the board, because that's a a championship formula. When you think about our offensive weapon set, one of the best in the NFL, at least from a passing standpoint. Uh, and when you look at our offensive line, when healthy phenomenal, if you have a top five defense, if you can have at least a a game manager quarterback that can push the ball down the field, they're not going to be a Patrick Mahomes to be very clear but that is quite a a formula to capitalize on this year it it is and you know what you're bringing something up that that i want to get to here um just quickly before we move on and i'm pulling up the uh the drive chart from the game because i made this comment watching the game you know people around me i mean it was you know it was zero zero for the longest time and it's like oh my and people getting discouraged and i'm like i think the vikings are in okay shape here relatively speaking because it felt to me like they were dominating the field position battle. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna verify that here though. Uh, if you look at the Raiders drive chart, okay. drives, yeah. I mean, they began drives in their own territory at the 20, 34, 27, 39 is not bad, but at the 10, at the 11, at the 13, at the 25. I mean, they the the Raiders were backed up almost the whole game. Yeah, and that's because the Vikings defense was doing what it was doing, and yep. and the field was slanted in favor of the Vikings offense almost all day, and they couldn't do anything with it. But mm-hmm. it tells you the Vikings defense right now is in good form, and I think the Bengals, and we'll get to the Bengals preview here in a minute. Uh, I think the Bengals are going to have a hard time putting points up on the board, um, you know, because of how well the Vikings defense is playing right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, meat and potatoes game. Yeah, for sure. All right. So quickly, though, before we talk Bengals, we talked about this a little bit at the top, how great of a weekend it was for the Vikings when you look at the playoff picture. Um, so we don't have to rehash all of that, but basically everyone lost and the Vikings won uh, in, mm-hmm. in the NFC. So now the Vikings still chasing the Lions. Uh, they are two games behind Detroit in the NFC North race. Mm-hmm. And they play them twice. <laughs> so we we talked about this Giles after the slow start is what what what's the path to getting to the division or to winning winning the division or getting to the playoffs we talked about can you get to even with the lions you know in the later part of december cuz if you can you play them twice and they are here this is where the mm-hmm. vikings are now it's by virtue of the lions choking a little bit here but um that's neither here nor there the bottom line is um with you know less than a handful of games to go you're two back of the lions and you play them twice yep so the lions play the broncos this weekend um also on saturday so before we worry about the wild card picture for the rest of the weekend on sunday 
the NFC North picture will gain some clarity on Saturday because both the Vikings and Lions play on Saturday. So when we were in Vegas um, this week before we left, we took a look at the NFC North odds. The Lions are still heavy, heavy favorites. The Vikings are, depending on where you shop the number, the Vikings are 7, 8, 9 to 1 to win the division. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a little too high. So we, we have a little financial stake in the Vikings winning the division at 7 to 1 odds, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Now, I don't think it's a pipe dream. Like, I still think Detroit should be favored. But, like, would you be shocked if Denver beat Detroit Saturday? Not at all. In fact, I, I actually think I might predict it. Okay, yeah. I mean, that's a reasonable prediction. The Broncos I mean, the Broncos are hot right now. Yeah, they are. So I'm going to I mean, let's look up Detroit the rest of their schedule by the way, too. Oh. Huh. Here's Detroit's schedule. At home against Denver, at Minnesota, yeah. at Dallas, and then home to the Vikings. I mean, that's in theory, they could lose every one of those games. They can lose out. Now, am I predicting it? No, but th- they could lose all those games. <laughs> they certainly Especially could. considering They're, their current performance. They just lost to the Bears. Yep. <laughs> they lost to the Bears. They lost to Green Bay. The Lions Bay. are Lions. Yep. Detroit's going to Detroit. The Detroit has gone full Detroit in the last month, and if they keep going that way... Uh, they're going to fall out of the NFC North lead to the Vikings, and they play each other in the last game of the season. There's a chance that that game is for the division, and it's at U.S. Bank Stadium. No, wait, it's at it's at Ford Field. Uh, the U.S. Bank Stadium game is Christmas Eve, so there's a chance that January seventh at Ford Field, Vikings and Packers is for the division. I mean, because the the Lions played Detroit on December thirtieth, the second to last week of the season. Yep. I'm sorry, Dallas. The Lions played Dallas. Yep. Dallas is going to need to win that game. And they are neck and neck with the Eagles in in the uh, NFC East. It is very unlikely that the Eagles will have clinched the division by then. So Dallas is going to be full out to win that game. And I think that Dallas hosting Detroit, Dallas is a 65% winner in that game. Yeah, you know. That's fair. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, so especially their performance at home late. <laughs> I mean, 7 to 1 to win the division for the Vikings with Detroit playing that schedule? Yes, please. I might fly when you're famous. Put, yeah. <laughs> I might I might fly back there and put more money on it. Jeez. Seriously, my goodness. Anyway. I mean, if that happens, I think the Vikings are the three seed then going into the playoffs. They would be. They'd be ahead of the NFC South team most likely. If they make the playoffs, yep. it's because they've won some games, so they will have jumped ahead of the NFC South. They'd be the three seed, uh, yep. which would have them playing the six seed in the playoffs which it doesn't really make much sense to look at that right now because it's so yeah. congested. In fact, the Vikings, I believe, are the sixth seed. Vikings or Packers are. So anyway, um, I mean, I am i don't even think it's that far-fetched to be optimistic about it, to be honest with you. I have a weird feeling that this is going to happen. I, I might be yeah. predicting this now. I really do. I, I really think there's a shot here because I think Detroit is seemingly on this weird spiral uh, now, maybe I'll be proven wrong and people will laugh at me publicly, but at the end of the day, I think the Lions are really in a downward trend, and I think the Vikings are in a unique position to capitalize on their amazing defense right now. I really think the change of quarterback is going to rejuvenate a lot of things, uh, and they might have a shot at this. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Now, uh, it's kind of a moot point if they lose on Saturday, right? So they got to win this that This is game. true. <laughs> so let's talk about that, okay? Vikings at Bengals, noon on mm-hmm. Saturday. Bengals yep. are seven and six this season. They're four and three at home. They are two and one since Burrow was hurt. So they do not have Joe Burrow for Vikings fans who don't pay attention to 
uh, you know, AFC teams or whatever. They do not have Joe Burrow. They still have their other studs. They got Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and Joe Mixon and all these other guys, but no Joe Burrow in this game. The Bengals installed as three-point favorites with a total uh, for the game of 40 and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the Bengals without Burrow is not a joke. They are coming off back-to-back 34-point outings. They defeated Jacksonville and Indianapolis, Giles. So those are impressive wins with high-point totals for the Bengals. Mm-hmm. I mentioned some of the players and stars they have on offense and Joe Mixon and Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. So Vikings defense against the Bengals offense. What are a few of your thoughts or talking points there? I do think the Bengals are going to have a hard time moving the ball with our defensive playing. Uh, I mean, unless, I mean, uh, a lot of people are high on Taylor as a coach. If he can figure out the kind of the unlock key to Brian Flores' defense, I think we are going to be able to slow them down quite a bit. Now, obviously, like you mentioned, Jamar Chase, T. Huggins, they got some, some great players. But at the end of the day, it is still Jake Browning, right? Uh, And you have to believe there's some energy there from Jake Browning as a revenge game, but I don't think that's really something that they can exploit. So I do expect things to slow down um, uh, for the, for the Bengals offense, which I think is great commendation for, uh, for Brian Flores. I think not a really a single team this year has been able to figure him out and have the unlock code. I think maybe over the next season or so that they'll, there'll be teams that figure it out. But I really think that we have the lock on that. When you view it the other way around, uh, Hendrick or Hendrickson is, is a guy that does scare me uh, on the edge there. Trey Hendrickson, he's having a great year, uh, yeah. especially with our, our offensive line deficiencies from an injury standpoint. Uh, but at the end of the day, he does usually write, uh, line up at the right end spot. So he'll be going up directly against Christian Derrissaw, which is maybe the it's honestly the matchup I'm looking forward to the most in yeah. this game. I think yeah. that is going to be a, a brilliant cool. matchup yeah. all day long. So I'm really excited to see what that looks like. I mean, it's a. Uh, 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 unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. going to be a really uh, fun uh, sight to see. But outside of that, there's not really anything else that really scares me here. So I think if you can really count on Mullins being able to push the ball down the field, I do expect us to really kind of recalibrate and, and uh, kind of get back on track here. So if I'm having to put a kind of a prediction to it, you know, there's a part of me that wants to go higher than this, but being conservative, I do expect maybe a 13 to 17 win uh, by the yeah. Vikings. But I think I'm being really conservative on the Vikings side there, considering that it uh, it is Mullins' first time outing here. Um, you know, there might be a, a few uh, kind of things that they have to go through to get things on track. So uh, I do uh, hope that they score more than that, but I do expect the Vikings to win um, uh, against the Bengals on Saturday. I think it's going to be a really close game. Of, of any of the ones that we've really looked at, Giles, and made predictions on, I have the hardest time sort of really feeling like I know who's going to win this game. I think this is is purely a toss-up, and a lot of it has to do with the quarterback situations that both teams are facing. And I, mm-hmm. and the thing that, I, that gets me to lean a little bit Vikings is just momentum mm-hmm. and what's on the line here. I know the Bengals are certainly not mathematically eliminated. They're alive, but they're not alive in the same way the Vikings are with as much mm-hmm. to play for. Like The Vikings are alive to win a division and have a home playoff game. And the Vikings are playing great on defense and the Vikings have that us against the world back against the wall feeling with the quarterback being out. And there's this, and the Bengals have that too, but the Vikings have more of those things than Cincinnati does. So the thing that gets me over the hump aside from that is that the Bengals defense is really not very good. Um, Trey Hendrickson is really good and can ruin Mm -hmm. a game for you, but the Bengals give up, the third most yards in in the NFL right now 
at the two, third most. Third most. Yeah, the third worst defense when it comes to to yards. Um, and then looking at their passing yards allowed per game, it's 252.1. So they're giving up 250 passing yards a game. I think that's going to give Mullins and O'Connell a window uh, to be productive and to move the ball. And if you can get Jefferson out there to play, which I, I know he stated he's playing, if that happens and he's effective uh, with the weapons the Vikings have and an accurate passer and maybe some new life because of a, of a different quarterback, I think that gets the Vikings over the hump here in one of those – odd weird scoring late score gets you a victory type of games like 22 19 23 20 something like that i see the vikings winning here and putting a lot of pressure on the detroit lions to win later that same day on saturday uh, at home against the denver broncos so uh, that's what i foresee happening um another vikings victory here uh which would give them two straight coming out of the bye and would be a big deal as they chase the lions for the nfc north um, any final thoughts on on the game, the matchup, or the Vikings before we wrap this up? There's something about Saturday games that I love, so I'm excited for uh, yeah. a Saturday noon game, a little change of pace there, but uh, do definitely expect a Vikings win, and I think uh, this can further cement for all the reasons that you mentioned that we might actually have a shot to do some dancing here uh, come January and February. We'll it, see. It, it is not pie in the sky. It is not a long shot whatsoever, even though that's what the Vegas books, who are normally mm-hmm. right, are saying. It is not. <laughs> when you look at that Lions schedule and, and, and the fact that the Vikings get two cracks at the Lions here down the stretch and they're only two back. I like their chances, all things considered, especially uh, considering the slow start they had with Cousins and then losing Cousins. It's it's mm-hmm. incredible that the Vikings are where they are, given all that adversity. So we'll see if they can uh, keep it going here on Saturday as they travel to Cincinnati to play the Bengals, um, hopefully get a victory, um, and then you sit back and you root against a bunch of teams. I mean, and that's fun, man. After you've won yeah. your own game, it's fun to sit back and root against everyone else. You know what I mean? So, exactly. Um, maybe that's the position the Vikings will be in. So uh, no matter what happens, though, we'll be back on Monday next week to talk about it here on the Wobcast 2.0. Giles will join me. We'll record on Monday and break down what we saw from the Vikings-Bengals game and the rest of the NFC as this playoff picture continues to intensify and hopefully gain some clarity after this weekend. On behalf of Giles, this is Wobby signing off for now. Enjoy the game on Saturday, everybody. And until we meet again on Monday, Skull Vikings.